Hey, this is Derek D. Train He Too. Tonight's episode is brought to you by At Second String Leather Company. Vintage goalie gear is revived, repurposed, and restitched into one of a kind handcrafted leather goods. Each collection has been hand selected and shares a unique journey from early morning practices to championship games. Each piece has a story to tell and memories to share. Timeless products forged from full grain oil tanned leather paired with a unique blend of vintage gear. Second String Leather Company. Built on the heritage of the game. Crafted from the crease. Hello! Welcome back to Blue Line Hockey Club, folks. We have episode 91 tonight. We have all the usual suspects sitting in the house tonight. We have our producer, Patrick Uncle Sullivan. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. And local nerd on staff, our IT guy, Robbie P. Peters. What's up, Pete? Hey, how you doing? And the all-around sports guru, the guy that we go to for all of our sports news, Derek D-Train. He too. What's up, D-Train? What's up, Weedos? And your host of the Blue Line Hockey Club tonight, Mark the Dr. Morley. Oh, God. And the doctor's announcement tonight, we have no live studio audience tonight due to the coronavirus, but we do have a special guest tonight, Ray Sherrill. Ray Sherrill, GM of the, the, the New Jersey Devils. For the last four years, uh, Ray, what's up tonight? Not too much, guys. Uh, happy to join. Uh, hopefully, it's good night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome. Uh, you know, we have a lot of local listeners. The four of us are from up in the Canton, New York area. We spread out across the country now, but we have our roots back there at St. Lawrence, and uh, we know that you were a, a player and a captain for the Skating Saints. And you know, just want to ask you how your time was up there in Canton. Um, actually, uh, that's. Uh, years of my life actually um just being up there we were just up there a few weeks ago for opening of the, the the renovated building and the legend of st lawrence hockey gina kingsbury and peter mcgill which is a fantastic time and i think it was it was great but uh, i was there i got there in 1980 as a freshman and uh, played for mike mcshane my four years and had a terrific experience and uh, some of my best friends in life are from st lawrence and um it was a great time for me and i always enjoy going back yeah, Ray, we, we need to get some funding together and get a big bronze statue of Joe Marsh out in front of the arena. What do you think about that? Well, I think we're working on it. Actually, it's funny because uh, <laughs> before I went to St. Lawrence, I was at prep school in New Hampshire, at New Hampton for two years, and Joe was my coach uh, for my junior, senior year at prep school. And um, so I've known Joe a long, long time, since 1978. So um, but he, he deserves even more than that. And uh, probably Teddy yeah. Marsh's wife, his wonderful wife, uh, might – actually deserve the honor to have a statue more than Joe. So, yeah, right. um, but they're fantastic people, and uh, Joe, as you know, is, continues to have a lasting impact on uh, the people up in Canton and the, the hockey program and uh, the community. He's a wonderful person. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing how far that uh, St. Lawrence University hockey program, the fingers of that program, stretch out throughout the, the hockey world like yourself and a bunch of the other names that have made it on. 
to the NHL and, you know, guys like Greg Carvel out at UMass and Pierre McGuire on a couple of weeks ago. It just seems like there's so many connections uh, that are that linked back to St. Lawrence University. Yeah, it, um, there really is. And it really goes, it's, even when I was at school there, Phil Torrey, um, he was uh, obviously a St. Lawrence alumni and uh, the Torrey family, very influential in um, St. Lawrence University. And But he was uh, at the time the GM of the New York Islanders one in the process of winning four Stanley Cups, and he really had a taste for it back then. Uh, remember, he brought the Stanley Cup uh, to Canton, New York, and uh, we spent time with it there. And uh, but there's a lot of people, not just in pro hockey, but collegiate hockey, and uh, you know, and it's for a smaller school, uh, 2,000, a little over 2,000 people, and in the NHL, everybody always gives everybody a hard time saying that the St. Lawrence Mafia, which uh, is, is kind of cool, but um, everybody looks out for each other and. A small school, but a uh, big impact on the, the game of hockey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, Ray, after you left uh, St. Lawrence, I know that you eventually got up to Ottawa, um, or G- assistant GM up there, and I think '93. Uh, how did you get into the or get started in the role of um, the front office and, and getting into that kind of part of the hockey business? Yeah, uh, when I actually got out of St. Lawrence, I was in the agent business for about six years. I moved to Boston and. I uh, lived with another St. Lawrence guy who ended, uh, ended up being the best man at his wedding, Steve Rhodes, and he was at my wedding. And But I lived in Boston for six years. I, I was in the player agent business. And uh, in 1993, I think I was about 30 years old at the time, and it was actually Randy Sexton, who was a junior and the captain of uh, the hockey team. Uh, when I was a freshman, uh, he was one of the original founders of the Ottawa Senators franchise. And um, it was after the first year of, they were the NHL, uh, so it was the second year, 93 94, that... Randy, you know, he was the president of the Senators, and he asked me if I wanted to be assistant general manager. I went out to talk to them and the owner, and that's how I got into pro hockey through a St. Lawrence connection and one of my lifelong friends, Randy Sexton. So I was in Ottawa for five years, assistant GM from 93 to 98, and then I went to Nashville, Nashville Predators. They were, you know, they were starting their expansion team in 98, and I was there for eight years, worked under David Poyle. So uh, from 98 to 2006, before I got the GM job in Pittsburgh in 2006, so um, again, it's the St. Lawrence connection that got me started, and uh, Randy and I continue to be you know, best of friends of this day. Yeah, so I guess when you um, you know when you got over to Pittsburgh and you and you got that role as as the head the GM of the team, um, you know what what kind of difference is it is it for the GM compared to the assistant GM, and you know how much more responsibility is put on your shoulders? Uh, it's it's certainly a lot more, and that was 2006. It's even greater today, and but I think. Everybody asks, what does a general manager do? And if you just gave someone your business card and said general manager, that's exactly what you do. You're a manager. You're a manager of people. And um, But I think, you know, to be a successful manager in any business or the game of hockey, that you have to delegate, you have to, and that becomes a strength if you're going to be successful what you're doing. And you empower people that work with you and, and have them make decisions. And um, But it's, you know, one of those things that, you know, you – you're managing your ownership. You're managing the fat, your, your your players, the agents, the media, your trainers. You have farm teams, so you're managing a lot of different things. And as assistant GM, you certainly don't have that coming at you. You're always looking at the general manager, and it's no different than you know assistant coach having certain responsibilities. And then when they become a head coach, if they have the opportunity, they figure out right away that quite a difference in terms of responsibility and responsibilities to players and agents and trainers and the GM and, and all those things. So, uh, but I think with anything, it's the more prepared and experience you have, the better chance you have to have some success doing it. 
Yeah, so I guess, you know, I guess there's no better position to re kind of uh, be on both sides of it, being an agent before you become a GM, you know, because obviously once you're a GM, you're dealing with the agent, so you kind of see both sides of it. Um, and then in, I believe it was 2009, you uh, won a cup in Pittsburgh and uh, put together a pretty good team down there. And, and one of the questions I had for you tonight was, you know, in 2014, when you, when you got let go in Pittsburgh, uh, and then they go on to win two cups. Uh, I believe it was back to back the next two years. I mean, essentially, that's pretty much your team, no? Yeah, it actually, it was uh, not the next year. It was actually the, the two years afterwards. And uh, I think uh, they did 16, 17 back to back. Yeah, I think there was like 12 players, including a lot of the, the players we had drafted. That you know, whether it's Matt Murray and goal and Brian Rust and Brian Dumoulin and uh, Jake Gensel and guys like this. That you know, in addition, guys like Chris Kudis that they traded for it. But again, it's, you know, that all that happens and it, you know, I'm, I was happy for him because there's a lot of good people and a lot of people I had hired staff wise at 99% were still there. And, um, you know, Jim Rutherford uh, was succeeded me and did a really good job. And, uh, but again, that's, you know, I was happy for their success and a lot of those kids that, you know, we had traded for or certainly drafted, you know, it took some time for them to, you know, come out of college or junior, whatever the case was, but they, you know, big impacts on, on both cups and uh you know so it, it was good and it's I was happy for it and you know we went we won the cup in 09 and you know we're in the finals in 08 against you know back to back against detroit and so it's, it's hard to win but at the same time we, we did and you know have your name in the cup and have a stanley cup ring and it was nice that uh, doesn't happen to many people so again it's i was happy for pittsburgh when they were able to do that crosby and malkin and guys like that to have another chance because they had got close again but never got there and uh, so it's good to see them, you know, win again. So I was happy for them as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Ray, I had a question if we want to still stay here in Pittsburgh for a little bit. Um, the whole George the Rock trade. I don't know if you were a big part of bringing him over to Pittsburgh. But what, what was one of the reasons or what were the reasons for bringing him in? Is that, you know, were you guys still looking for an enforcer to, um, you know, protect Malkin and Crosby or? What was the, you know, the thinking of bringing George the Rock? That was, yeah, I, I traded for George and, um, you know, was at the trade deadline and uh, it's exactly what it was. We had, uh, you know, I like George and I think he might have been one of your guests at some point, but he, I like George a lot. Yeah. He was the toughest player in the league, but he could also play. He did his role well and went to the finals uh, in 08 with him. Uh, and then the year he won the cup, you know, his contract was up. So he signed a three-year deal in Montreal for more money. It's, you know, a salary cap. We had to replace him. But I really liked George a lot and still keep in touch with him. And But that's exactly what it was. And, you know, certainly, you know, we were playing teams like Philadelphia in our division and Washington and, and things like that and Boston's in the conference. And, you know, we – we had a pretty, we had a pretty rugged team there. With you know, we had Gary Roberts and George Larac and guys like this. We had you know Hal Gill on defense, who was six seven and won a cup with us. But you know, guys like George made an impact because he could play as well, and uh, he was a character. And um, but he was you know a long time NHL player and uh, certainly the toughest I think player in the league at that point. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, great guy. Yeah, speaking speaking of enforcers, you know, and how the how hockey has changed. How has that changed as far as your role as a GM? I mean. It's not like today you would trade for a guy like George the Rock. It seems like more of you got four lines of guys that can play, and the fourth line is just about as good as the third line. And you know, have you, have you seen that that big difference from when you were a GM in 2006 until uh, this year? Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, it's it, it evolved like anything evolves in time. But I think uh, there's still probably a place in this game 
for George Rock, you know, in his prime because uh, he could play as well. Um, but, you know, the guys that, you know, play three, four minutes a night on the fourth line, I think it's a combination of whether it's through analytics and certainly uh, learning more and more about concussions all the time. I mean, that role is certainly, unfortunately, gone to the wayside and uh, not just in the NHL, but certainly, you know, whether it's in junior hockey or the USHL or because that's to me is, you know, where you're really, you know, I'd love to see fighting band at that level anyway, from the, whether it's, the, you know, Quebec league or Ontario league or USHL and all those things. I mean, it, you know, and then it just, it will dissipate at that point, but it was a different game back then. And, but, you know, I think a lot has to do with just the evolution of where we are, you know, as people and, and what we find out about concussions, which no one knew back then. And we all know that. And right. I'm sure we've all had concussions or whatever, playing sports or other things. And, no one really knew or saw what any of the impact or long-term impact would be. I think, um, you know, whether as coaches or managers at any level, you have a responsibility to obviously the welfare of your, your player or, or, or kids uh, if you're coaching youth sports. I think there's, there's paramount to anything. Ray, I see you talking about, you know, the NHL evolving and just getting into concussions. Just, uh, you know, the draft pick you picked with Jack Hughes and him being such a small guy, how did how did that uh, how did that go into your decision? You know, picking Jack over Capo and you, knowing that he was smaller. Um, what did you see in him that just uh, your organization just decided to take him? Yeah, no, I think I mean it's you could say the same thing about Patrick Kane and guys like this. And um, but I think with Jack Hughes and you know I think both players are going to be really good long term players. They'll be impact players in the league. And um, in Jack's case, obviously his size at this point, but he's going to be a star in the league in my opinion and he's got what he has is he has vision he has great skating ability lateral ability uh, he sees guys incredibly well um and he's you know as he matures into his body and, and matures he's going to be a standout and um you know he's totally a different player than capo caco you know, who's actually a, a much bigger player more of a fight against men in the men's league and, and and both players have had their struggles this year and to adjust to the national hockey league which is very very difficult and you know, as an 18-year-old, uh, let alone, you know, as a rookie in particular. So, um, but I think anytime you're taking anybody in the draft, especially at the top of the draft like that, I think it's not, you're looking at the longer-term picture as who, in your for your organization, not anybody else's, as to how he could fit in and what do you see in their game. And I think with Jack Hughes, I, I have no doubt that in time he's going to be a star in the league and his creativity and very competitive. And I don't think the size factor will make Eddie, you know, as he grows into himself a bit and matures, it's not going to be a problem. And um, he's elusive and he's smart and he makes people around him better. And that's why, you know, as for the Devils, that was a pick for the Devils at that point. The way the league is going, obviously, too, you know, got a lot, a lot of young guys coming in, contributing right away, as opposed to, you know, taking years in the past. You know, it took years for guys to get through the system and get up to the, get up to the league. As you look around the NHL now, do you see any specific teams that are doing like a you know that you that you kind of look at and say you know they're doing a really great job at producing that feeder program because with the salary cap era now you know you got to have your, your your feeder system has got to be top notch so is there is there a specific team right you look at now that's doing a really good job of that? I don't know if there's any particular team to look at. I think it goes in cycles a bit. I mean it could be um, because once you become if you're a competitive team. You know, if you have, uh, you know, there's basically it's, you know, players that turn pro, they got three years till they need waivers generally. 
Um, and so it comes pretty quick. And then they're in their next contract. And before, I'd say like 10, 12, 14 years ago, um, it seemed like Detroit, I mean, there was, you know, really there was no salary cap. And, you know, their fourth line had, you know, had two Hall of Famers in their fourth line, Luke Robitaille and Brett Hall. And they were, they could do that. And, but I think, you know, sometime, you know, it, I, I think it just really goes to the development process of how important the American Hockey League is. And, you know, and I think the American Hockey League in particular is a badge of honor uh, for players to play in there. And 90, over 90% of the players have gone to the American Hockey League. And there's not many players that can go right from, you know, whether it's you know, junior hockey or from Europe or just step right in the NHL and play. Um, so I think, you know, I think it, it kind of goes in cycles. And but you see some of the players now, and like in Colorado, they've got, they've got a real good young player in Cal McCarr. They've got Nathan McKinnon. It's you know, Quinn Hughes, uh, Jack's brother in, in Vancouver, and uh, Brock Besser, and like those are young players that are making a difference. And you know, in New Jersey was Nico Heischer, and you've got you know from a couple of years ago as an eight-year-old, the youngest player in the league, scored 20 goals and on a team that had 98 points, and his winger was the MVP in the league, Taylor Hall. And so you have those cycles, and but you need that because once you're a competitive team, you're obviously having to reprice players and you need the players that are on two level contracts, not just for the money, but that can make a difference and impact the game. So um, it's a good question, but I really think it goes in cycles and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's uh, really important for teams to have success or even stay in success in the league at this point. Yeah. Ray, just uh, to touch on that a little bit. I mean, being a GM and, you know, we were talking about the business side of it and trying to stay under the, the salary cap and, you know, how important is it to, be able to get guys that haven't met their three years of entry level contract or so basically, you know, if you're picking up a guy late in the years, you know, uh, like a Joe Thornton or Patrick Marlowe or somebody that you're picking up like a million dollar contract or, you know, I think Zach Bogosian just went to Tampa on, you know, pretty cheap deal for him. You know, how hard is it to play that chess match of, you know, getting guys at a discount and, you know, getting these entry guys before they sign their big contracts? Well, it's really it's important, especially depending where you are with your franchise and, and your curve. And um, in 2008, you know, in Pittsburgh, we went to the finals, and uh, both Crosby and Malkin were on entry-level contracts. And then in 09, we won. Uh, Crosby was on his second contract, which you know he went from 3.7 to 8.7, and uh, Malkin was still at 3.7 on his entry level. So that made a big difference. And but again, it's you know one of those things that teams, you know. You have to be pretty careful, and it's almost like the NFL, where you have to make, you know, non-emotional decisions about your roster, and um, because it's not like the NBA, where there's three players make the difference. I mean, if you're top-heavy, it's hard because with injuries and so forth, and not every team spends the cap. I mean, I think half the teams in the league are around the cap, and but not everybody is. So you know, other teams have budgets, and um, but I think it's you know it's important as to it's about you know roster building and uh, you know roster construction and. You know, you always have to be ahead of it. And Lou Lamorello, I mean, you have to, you know, look ahead, you know, whether it's a year or two or three years. Things are going to change. And Lou Lamorello, the longtime GM and Hall of Fame GM for the Devils and now with the Islanders, but he had the best line ever. He had a five-year plan, but it's changing every day, which is really what it is. Because uh, <laughs> things happen and you change. And, you know, I could make a, a three-year plan, but I can tell you it's going to be a lot different as it moves forward. But you have to work off of something and you have to – you know, plan, but then you're going to have to, the unexpected is going to happen. And, you know, uh, so that's, that's part of it, but that's part of the challenge. And that's part of, you know, it's a, it's a difficult job of these days, but that's part of the challenge. And that's why, you know, it's, it's an exciting job. 
And um, but everybody's you know with the salary cap is a pretty even league and a pretty balanced league. Yeah, to you, uh, you know, just a good example of that. I, you know, with the Devils this year coming into the season, you know, on our show we were talking about you guys making some making more moves than anybody to to have a you know with your first round pick and PK Subban, Wayne Simmons, um, you know, a, n- a number of pickups in the off season. You know, we thought you know that was going to be a great thing for the Devils, and like you said, everything changes day to day, and it always doesn't work out. And, you know, as a GM, it, it must be frustrating um, when it's not working out because there's a lot of pressure on you guys. There's a lot, obviously, your, your head coach is in Jersey this year. Um, a lot of changes there, too. So, I mean, it, it, it's uh, it's impossible to see the future. Yeah, it is. But it's one of those things, I think, like with anything, um, you know, Jack Hughes is the first overall pick, but he's 18. And I think the expectations for him, we t- tried to taper down as much as we could. And you know, PK Subban, the attraction with PK is he only had three years on his deal, and um, we didn't have any cap issues or like that. It was three years, and uh, a guy like Jack Hughes, you know, after three years, he'll reprice in a new contract when PK's was up. And Wayne Simmons is a one-year deal. Um, even with Gusev, the trade we made uh, with Vegas there for two picks, and he's turned into a very, very good NHL player. And um, so I think there's such a thing as when you make moves. I think it's always about risk. And to me, there wasn't a lot of risk in it because while it didn't translate, I think some of our goaltending early on in New Jersey wasn't great. Now it's been very good, really good young goaltender. Mackenzie Blackwood has, has been fantastic. But a lot of you need goaltending, like with anything. If you don't have it, it's, if you have great goaltending, it masks a lot of problems. If you don't have it, it's hard to evaluate your team. And um, But I think anything you do as a manager is about risk. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that, there wasn't a lot of risk because it did not, it wasn't like an all in situation when we signed, signed a defenseman for seven years and uh, signed a winger for five years, you know. So there's a lot of flexibility still for New Jersey, and that's the good stuff. And But I think, you know, it'll take some time, but I think there's a lot of good pieces there. Yeah, Ray, do you feel like the uh, the league seems to, I mean, from outsiders kind of looking in, you guys are on the inside, obviously, but does it seem like the league has gotten like much more trigger happy as far as, you know, you know, Firing coaches, firing GMs before they have a chance to really, you know, establish a culture, build a roster, draft players, you know, bring in free agents to actually get the culture that they want. You think it's gotten a little bit uh, more trigger happy than in the past? Or um, I just think it's it's part of part and parcel of the business. I mean, it's uh, like with any sport. I think it's you know it's a lot of money that uh, teams put on the ice, or in this case, owners, and you know they're. But I think that's the thing. If you're it's part of, you know, part of a, a plan. It's easy. Everybody can have a plan. And, you know, Mike Tyson's, you know, you know, everybody can have a plan, but once they get punched in the face, uh, you know, <laughs> not like, um, you know, but it's not what it is. And that's, you know, there's a lot of things you would plan for, but the things don't always go that way. You can make a, you know, make a trade and the guy gets hurt or you can, you know, sign a free agent and you think all everything lines up and all of a sudden it doesn't work out. You think, or your goalie gets hurt or, a lot of things happen, and that's what I said. You have to have flexibility and cap space and not tie yourself in. If you get boxed in, you know, it's one of those things. But it is, you know, in terms of, you know, as, as coaches, even managers now, but, you know, it is, you know, there's a lot of turnover and change uh, pretty quickly. And that's just not in hockey. It's in, in almost every sport, it seems. And, um, you know, it's coaches go in there, and it's not like, you know, where it used to be and guys are coaching a team 10, 12, 14 years or something like that. It, a lot of turnover and there's a lot of pressure and you know but it's it's a, an exciting job to be a coach or a manager that 
you know, you're, you know, especially with some of the players, there's some, some fa- fantastic people in the game of hockey, the NHL, and to get to work with some people like that, it's, it's challenging at the same time, really rewarding at times too. So before we let you get on with your evening, what's next for Ray Shero? Uh, yeah. I don't know. You know what? I'm really enjoying uh, my time. My, I'm actually really enjoying my time. I've, um, you know, as an assistant GM for 14 years, I was a GM for 13 years, and you know that's a, a lot of time. So right now, just enjoying myself, my family, and uh, we'll kind of see where the future holds. But I'm not in a big rush at this point, and uh, you know, take a step back, which is good, and um, you know, kind of keep the tabs on the league and keep on the tabs on college hockey or whatever it's going on with college hockey these days. So. Actually, we're at the St. Lawrence Harvard games this weekend, so um, it was good to see that and catch up a lot of alumni, and that was cool. Um, but we'll wait and see what happens. But um, right now, it's time to kick back a little bit. How was the golf game, Ray? Are you, are you a golfer? A little bit. Not that I played today with my son. Um, yeah, I got to go back to the driving range. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Do yeah. work. Yeah, do work throw, on the golf game. Yeah, just throw a couple extra balls in the bag. It'd be fine. <laughs> 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 I left whatever balls I had out of the golf course. <laughs> uh, they're somewhere. <laughs> Donate. It was good. Hey, Ray, yeah. we we appreciate you coming on with the Blue Liners tonight. Um, we know that somebody's going to be calling your phone eventually to get you back in the in oh. the biz- business of hockey. And wish you the best of luck. And you know, really appreciate you coming on, a friend of the St. Lawrence program, and um, you know Joe Marsh. And you have a have a great yeah. night. And and uh, we'll be we'll be yeah. looking to see what happens with with your future, man. I really appreciate it, guys. You take care. Thanks again. Appreciate right, you, Ray. Thanks. Thank you. All right, boys. Another great interview for the Blue Liners tonight. Ray Sherrill, obviously, he just mentioned that he's got 20, I think, 27 years in the GM role as an assistant and as, as a GM. Um, that is a long time. I don't know if we've uh, spoken to some other GMs, but I think he's the longest standing GM that we've had on the show. And the wealth of knowledge that he must bring to those teams um, actually, the thing that I didn't realize that he was an agent before uh, he was a GM, that must be huge for a guy that takes that knowledge that he has of what the agents go through to get the players signed and you know, then be negotiating on the other side of it. Gives them little ins and outs of what the agents are going through, too. So he's got a lot of knowledge to bring to an NHL team. And I think we'll see him. Uh, you know how things get recycled in the NHL. We'll see him somewhere else soon. Yeah, I mean, the start of the season, the NHL season, the the Blue Liners, we were all uh, just talking about the Devils, all the trades and everything, and Jack Hughes and PK going over there. Um, it looked really, really good on paper, uh, what Ray put together. Like I said, we were excited. I'm sure Ray was excited. You know, they started the season off 0-4-2, and, um, and then Hughes got hurt. Uh, the goalie, Snyder, went down to the minors. He wasn't playing well. And then all those Taylor Hall rumors that wanted to be traded. He said he wanted to stay. And that kind of just put a, a, um, a sour taste in the locker room, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the beginning of the season, Ray must have just had a huge rock-hard boner for the team. <laughs> and, you know, and then to start the season off like that, it's this time last year. Well, not this time, but, you know, after the draft anyways, going into the season. That organization was just fucking, you know, drinking martinis, kind of, you know, celebrating a little bit. And uh, it's unfortunate. Like he said, you just never know. And like I said, you know, he gets hurt. Snyder goes down. Taylor Hall gets traded. Yeah, Taylor Hall gets traded. No big deal. But, yeah, that's the that's (laughs) sports, like he said, not the NHL. That's sport. Um, Yeah. It's great to have him on, though, and talk to him. 
Yeah, and, and you know, PK Subban really didn't do much when he came in. Yeah, PK, you know, so, I forgot to mention him. Yeah, he, you know, so he didn't. You know, they're bringing him in, thinks that he's going to put a spark on the defensive end, and you know, it's it's frustrating for a GM. You know, you never know how these guys are going to turn around when they come to a new organization, and uh, you know, and they had a lot of coaching changes this year too. And you know, I don't know what if he was involved directly with that or his ownership, but uh, it's got to be hard. I think they're on their fourth coach, right? I don't think so. Is it that many coaches? Ten. Um, they have like, you know, it's it's a difficult ownership status at, in New Jersey too because they also own, um, you know, the professional basketball team there too. Correct. I mean, so it's um, it's it's you know, I think I think certain aspects of the ownership of the Devils make that job maybe a little bit more challenging than others. I know there is other sports where, you know, owners own uh, more than one team and things of that nature, but. I think that probably brought a little other dynamic into into the picture, um, but sure. I don't know. Like it, it is a crap. It's a crapshoot kind of in sports. You know, if you know if putting money into a team and building the dream squad always resulted in results, you know, it, the Dallas Cowboys would win a lot more Super Bowls than they do right now. So um, it's yeah. just it, it's a crapshoot. Injuries, uh, all sorts of stuff goes into play. So uh, Ray's a great dude awesome for him to join us and just uh you know he's going to do great things in the future somebody's going to pick him off and he's going to help build another franchise here pretty soon yeah Yeah, just to touch on that uh he too you know you talk about the devils but you know the devils essentially are in new york city right so i mean you talk about the rangers the devils i mean the islanders are there but the islanders aren't one of the you know most popular teams they're more of a long island team but you know that pressure of the new york media and the pressure of that those teams to win like the rangers and the devils um, you know, even the Knicks have sucked for so long, but, you know, talk, take the Yankees, whoever it might be in New York, it's one of the hardest cities to play in because they're, the media is so, so hard and scrutinizes those teams so much that every, every time you lose, it's in the papers and, you know, yeah. it's just a tough city to, to play in if you're not winning. So I can see how much pressure is on, on those guys. And you got to give credit to uh, Quinter for the New York Rangers. I mean, what he's done for the New York Rangers and, you know, what we anticipated the Rangers going into the season and what they are now, um, crazy. So, and, and, and still, just, you know, elaborate on what you're saying, Mark, and still of what David Quinn has done with the Rangers, he's still getting shit and fans are calling to get him fired, which I have no crazy. idea why. Crazy. But that's how tough it is there. In a rebuilding phase, you know. In I mean, a rebuilding phase. <laughs> so let's, I mean, while we're on the topic, you know, we're going to get into some NHL stuff here. And, you know, why don't we just start right here with the, the Rangers? Because obviously they're creeping up on their wild card spot. And they're only, I think, what, Derek, like four points out or something like that? Three Who's at last not? check. Three. This NHL what? talk is brought to you by who, Mark? Secondstringleather.com. Are you guys diehard hockey fans? Miss the smell of the equipment in the arena? Well, we are at the Blue Line Hockey Club podcast, and that's why we go to secondstringleather.com. Get back into the game with Second String Leather. They have a variety of accessories made from vintage leather hockey equipment. We're talking wallets, belts, keychains, coasters, bathroom bags and totes. They even make iWatch bands. All made from real leather from used vintage hockey equipment. If you're a hockey fan, you're going to want to check this site out. It's secondstringleather.com. Take your passion to another level with secondstringleather.com.
that Ovi scored two goals to tie it up to put it in overtime. And Sabena Jag gets a breakaway in overtime and scores his fifth goal. I mean, it was so exciting to watch. Uh, what a great player. I think he's underrated as far as the media goes. He doesn't get enough attention. One of the best players in the league. We talked about it early in the season, how you know we really liked him as a player in the Rangers. And to see the guy score five goals, I mean, I, that's the first NHL game that I've watched, been watching live to see somebody score five goals. It was it was quite a feat. Robbie was watching it too. Robbie, you got any comments, man? No. Uh, I mean, what, what more can you add? T was on fire. Um, his fifth goal, I was out of my chair. Unbelievable. It was cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I mean, to see Ovi just, you know, Ovi scored to tie it up 4 4, you know, or whatever it was. And then, um, and then it took three or three to three, and then four to four. So, I mean, Ovi was putting in his goals. You know, he's been a big uh, conversation piece of, of this, uh, you know, hockey cycle with his goals, and he scored two goals. So, it was exciting to see that, um, yeah, see him contribute. And it was just an all-around great game and one of the best games I've seen this year so far. Uh, and props to the Rangers. They've been playing well. They lost a, a tough one to the next game. But they're, they're making a big playoff push right now, and I, I, mean, I wouldn't count them out. They're one of the hottest teams in, in the NHL um, you know, outside of the, the Flyers and maybe the Wild as far as the underdogs go. Just smoked the Stars last night. Zabinijad, too, fastest uh, player in uh, Rangers history to get to 40 goals. I When I saw that he had 40 goals, I was like, I was kind of taken back by that because even for somebody that follows the Rangers, I didn't realize he was on that kind of clip. I mean, when you compare him, who I think is probably the greatest in the game right now, Ovechkin. I mean, he's only – Ovechkin, I think, got 48 or 49 goals. Zabinijad at 40. The Rangers got some guys, like, you know, producing heavily. You got Panarin's got 32 goals, Kreider 24 goals. Uh, this is a young squad. I don't, I honestly don't think if these guys can squeak into the playoffs, I don't know who the fuck would want to play them, honestly. I mean, it's a day, it's like the Islanders last year. Yeah, yeah, like the Islanders last year. Minnesota Wild might be the same kind of, same kind of team you're talking about right now, you know. You don't want to play a team, a team that comes in hot at the end. That's like, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning can talk to you about this, you know. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to meet a team that's playing like this right now. I, I hope, you know, obviously as a Rangers fan, you know, uh, at, at my in my heart, you know, I, I, I'd love to see them make it into the playoffs and make some noise. But they're ahead of schedule. And if, if for anybody out there talking about Quinter, you know, being under fire, I mean, you got to be a fucking retard to be talking like that. But <laughs> uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't use the term. We'll, we'll erase that term and say a fucking idiot to to. Uh, to, to have that to have that guy uh, be yeah. on the hot seat right now, but I mean, it's just it's so stupid to be talking like that. But they're a great team and uh, it, definitely ahead of schedule. So on the defensive side, Adam Fox, uh, we had on the show yeah. before he was uh, before he was big time Rangers player. Um, he's he's been playing awesome, man. I mean, he's on the power play. Uh, he's contributing. He's he's been playing great for the Rangers. You know, such a young player, Georgiev, and Net has been awesome. You got the Lundqvist guy sitting on the bench, you know, the king. You know, I mean, what's that say about your goaltending? You know what I mean? You got if you're sitting a guy like Lundqvist, you got great goaltending um, in your top two, and you know that's a Quinter move right there, right? So I mean, how how much balls did it take for Quinter to fucking bench him, man? I mean, yeah. Well, look at Stavok in uh, Minnesota. It looks like he might be pushing Dubnik out of first. Yeah, for Um, sure. They're, they're definitely playing better hockey with him than that, I think. Just uh, just to I mean, back Lundquist, up quick. Lundquist is over 
Real quick though, Lundqvist is over yeah. three goals against. I think it's like three point one six. So I mean, it's not like it's you know his his quality of play hasn't been there. That could be a result of I think he's a he I think he's a kind of goaltender that needs to play constantly to play his best hockey. But you know his statistically he's not where he used to be. So anyways, go ahead, Lardy. No, I was just gonna say you know the Rangers got the in two thousand sixteen from the Ottawa Senators, just kind of ripping on the Senators, you know. They, they get rid of this guy. Late bloomer, you know, unfortunately, he's been with the Rangers since 2016. This year, he's finally making a lot of noise. Ottawa traded Zibanejad in a second-round draft pick for the 2017 NHL draft for Derek Broussard in a seventh-rounder. So Ottawa traded Zibanejad for Derek Broussard in a seventh-rounder. And um, since that trade, today's date, uh, Zibanejad has 109 goals, 229 points in 263 games compared to Bouchard, who has 59 goals and 138 points, 287 games. So what a pickup for the New York Rangers and just another bonehead move by Ottawa. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to, you know, see in the future, but man, yeah, we could, we could probably I go mean, through a list of trophy. Yeah. And, but he, He's going to be like, I would consider him as, you know, winning the Hart Trophy this year. I mean, he's right up there in scoring with big names. Zabanajad, like two years ago, people, who's that? Who's that long-haired freak out there? (laughs) Yeah. We talk about the Ottawa Ottawa all day about the players that they've given up. I mean, look at Hoffman. They had the girlfriend thing with with Carlson, and he's down in Florida now. He's playing great for Florida. And, And you have, you know, Obviously, Carlson, he got hurt. He's been hurt here and there, but I mean, they got rid of Carlson. I mean, just the list goes on and on. I mean, of course, it, now they've got 354 draft picks, but <laughs> what the fuck good is it? I do want to make some uh, uh, news. A couple teams tomorrow, Columbus Blue Jackets and the Pittsburgh Penguins will be playing in Columbus with no fans due to the coronavirus. Derek's got his mask on. So that's pretty big news. Um, the whole state of Ohio has come to, you know, put a put a band on large gatherings. So um, I think this might be the first time in NHL history. So um, and then the San Jose Sharks out in Broward County, California is doing the same thing. Um, San Jose Sharks will not uh, uh, have any fans. Um, the NBA, it's on Twitter right now. Within minutes, just canceled the NBA season. That's big news. ECAC. Harvard canceled their season. A lot of news in the sports world, hockey specifically. Um, and I think, you know, making history, they are going to play games without fans, which is kind of weird. Yeah, kind of weird. And I mean, if the NBA is going to cancel the season, I think that's a little bit crazy, in my opinion. I mean, you could have games without fans, but, what, you know, what's their point there? They, they don't want to lose revenue because they, you know, can't sell tickets. You know, what's they had the, a player. They had a player test positive for it. So yeah, they were right. in panic mode. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's pretty big. Um, gotta yeah. Do gotta do. It's, it's it's not the NBA or not the NHL making calls. It's the state, state to state. Um, yeah. So. And I think that you know, I mean, the you know, that we're from New York, and the New York State uh, high school hockey is going to have no fans uh, at their Final Four. Uh, I think that's kind of. You know, when you're in a position of power, whether you're a governor or, you know, a commissioner of a league or something like that, a lot, if something happens and you let the season go on or if you have a, 
you know, event and a bunch of people contract the virus at the stadium, I mean, they're going to get shit on for, for years to come. So, I mean, it's kind of the whole thing, Derek, you're in the insurance business and the risk evaluation, you know, how much risk are we going to take if we, you know, continue, you know, liabilities and shit like that, you know, can they get sued? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, I think, you know, that's uh, honestly, that kind of stuff is probably playing a part in decision-making, uh, frankly, you know, everything's a big money world, but uh, we, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, we're all talking out way out of school as far as uh, this stuff goes, as far as what this actually means as a virus and things like that. And, you know, we all poke fun at it, but I mean, I know it's a very, very serious thing and we'll probably begin to understand it a little bit more as we go forward. But man, it's, it's definitely rocking uh, the world from one end to the other, whether it's sports, uh, politics, yeah. anything you want to talk about, it's affecting the, it's affecting our world and economy in, in massive ways. So it's pretty crazy. Kind of a, you know, you, you, you think you're, you always think you're fine, but I guess uh, at this point, what the hell are we supposed to think? I don't know. Yeah. Only comes around every once in a while, a pandemic that, but uh, crazy, crazy. But uh, I see uh, um, McDavid's back in action tonight. I know a couple podcasts ago, I think it was uh, with uh, Doug McClain. We had him on. I think Derek asked him, you know, what was his impact? Um, a lose, you know, what was the impact on the Oilers? Um, losing him, you know, in this playoff push, and the Oilers have been eight and seven without Connor McDavid. Um, so they you got they got a winning record, but uh, but they definitely uh, missed him. Drysettle definitely uh, kept up on the scoring, put the puck in the net for them. Could have been much worse. Uh, they're still in playoff contention, so it didn't affect them too much. But uh, um, yeah, McDavid's back on the ice tonight. Yeah, so I mean, Pat, you talk about it. Um, you know, eight and seven. And they're sitting in second place in the Pacific, uh, 83 points. Um, but we know we know that that division as far as the wild card. The wild card's at 78 points, right? So they're only five points: 79, 78, 78, 77. So all there's like four or five teams within five points, right? So if you take those, you know, uh, seven losses and you add a couple wins in there, that's a little bit more cushion for them going to the yeah. playoffs. Where there's sure. enough ga- enough games now, they lose a few games, they're getting bumped out into the wild card and fighting for playoff spots. So you know, at this point of the season, it's it's a big, a lot bigger deal than you know if he gets hurt at the beginning of the season, they lose a, a couple of games. Now all of these teams out in the West, I mean, it's so tight out there. You got Minnesota fighting for the spot, Nashville. I, I mean, every night the the playoff, the wild card spot seems to bounce up and down. Who's in and who's out? Basically, night every night it changes. So, I mean, it, that's kind of a cool race to watch, and I like to see the parity in the league, especially out in the West right now, even in the East too. Um, you know, it's 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 early playoffs for hockey fans like us. You know, we watch a game and Love basically it. basically in or out, right? So these guys are playing their ass off. Uh, we watch a lot of wild games, man. They're a good example. They lost a tough one to the Kings this week. Uh, you know, it's kind of a must win for them, but they bounced back and they won won again the next night out in California. Uh, but like you said, man, those, these are all playoff games for them right now. Yeah, it's getting tough. And, you know, this is the best part of the season, right? I mean, spring's coming around the corner. Um, get the grills fired up, playoff hockey, Stanley Cup. Um, it doesn't get any better. But, yeah, I mean, y- you can look at either way, Mark, uh, you know, of the McDavid being out. You know, yeah, they could have, you know, put a couple more wins on the win column and had a nice cushion. But uh, Or you can look at it and say, you know, eight and seven. They're lucky they were eight and seven. You know, McDavid's a big part of that, that team. But uh, Yeah, with him back. Yeah, with him back, yep. 
for sure. Yeah, you know, with him back, it should be a little easier to win, right? So that's a good yeah. testament to that team to be able to win without oh, he's him. A threat. Yeah, he's a threat on the ice. I mean, he's looking at a two-point game every time he laces them up, for sure. Yeah, and power play just Larry, went off. Can you just, can you, could you repeat the what you just said about the grilling and everything? You're kind of making me horny there when you start talking about all that. <laughs> uh, I, I saw your grills fired up. It's just fun, you know. I, I remember, you know, when we were young kids back in, uh, you know, upstate New York and playoff hockey with our little small TV with antennas on it, some coil uh, <laughs> to get hockey back to Canada. Actually, used to have a penalty box, right? So uh, if one of our Hell yeah. someone spilled a beer or some water that stunk, um, you had to sit in the penalty <laughs> box. Um, so that's how no, that went. It's a great, great time of year, man. And cook getting those grills going and getting ready for some playoff hockey, man. This is the best of the best. Coming up, yeah, Mark, I'm sure you're getting to it, was uh, Seattle. I mean, we got the draft coming up this year, and we got Seattle, another expansion team. Um, I haven't heard too much about Seattle, to be honest with you, with all the playoffs and, you know, coaches being fired and GMs being fired. But uh, um, Seattle's moving forward. Um, they're, you know, digging ground. They got the uh, main – frames or studs whatever you want to call them in the arena uh they broke ground at the north gate ice arena which will be uh three rinks um their practice facility um it's at the north gate mall there in seattle getting together with the monorail seattle monorail which means shorter travel times um to get uh, uh fans there um so we do have the uh um seattle team which we haven't talked too much about or hasn't been in the uh news too much of the nhl um so with that expansion draft, it's going to be the same format as the uh, Las Vegas Knights. The only thing is, is that Seattle cannot pick from uh, Las Vegas. So they, they can pick any any players except teams from Vegas just because Vegas just got into the league. Um, so they must select one player from each existing club except Vegas, like I said. 14 forwards, nine defensemen three goaltenders. So, um, you know, existing clubs have two options for t- protecting their players, seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goaltender. So they can they can protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goaltender. Or another way they're putting it is eight skaters and a goaltender. So either way, but uh, that's going to be, uh, um, you know, still no name out there in Seattle, but they're moving forward on the uh, practice facility, the arena, and they actually have a website now. So they are on um, the NHL.com. They have their own website um, with a few pictures and videos of the uh, upcoming uh, rink and stuff. But that's going to be exciting to see a new team out there. Still no name though, huh, boys? Yeah, who knows? That's a debacle. You mentioned the monorail. <laughs> the Krakens. Yeah, you mentioned the monorail. What a, you know, what's something you take for granted when you're putting a team together as far as transportation? You look at the people up in Ottawa, you know, they decided to put a rink up, out somewhere where it shouldn't have been. You know, the logistics behind that. I think some other teams in, in the NHL have learned from that. Obviously, down in New Jersey when they had Continental Arena out by next to Giant Stadium, uh, way too far away for people to get to the games. They put it down in. Uh, Newark with the, tra- the public transportation going in and out, the subways and all that, and they've had great fan base. So I'm sure out in Seattle though they'll they'll pack the place, but you know that you don't really think about that as far as you know a fan, but you know, the logistics behind putting a stadium together, putting the transportation together, 
you know, what a feat for these cities to do that. And, you know, I think it's a great thing to have another city involved in the NHL. It's going to, it's going to help grow the sport of hockey out in the um, Northwest. Uh, you're going to have a lot more minor hockey out in Seattle now, just like down here in Florida, the Florida Panthers pretty much have like a, and I'm in Florida now. And if your kid wants to play, Florida Panthers have a program where they buy all the equipment for the kids and you pay like a small fee to get to learn to skate and they provide all the equipment. So, you know, I'm sure Nothing's that's free, Mark. Nothing's <laughs> free. Well, they're, you know, they're probably hoping to get some of those kids to attend the games with their parents in the long run. But it's pretty cool. You know, that's uh, they're giving back. They're trying to grow the game down here. I think that would be a big part of what happens out in Seattle. And we'll, we'll have more USA hockey players to come out of uh, the Northwest and, you know, it's all good stuff for hockey. You know, the more teams that the NHL has, the, the more the sport will grow. So that's yeah, uh, pretty I mean, exciting. They, I mean, they got a big uh, hockey program out there in Seattle. I know they got a semi-professional team. I can't think of it right now. Uh, pretty big. But just to elaborate on what you said with the monorail, Mark, you know, the Ottawa Senators is a you know prime example. Uh, they built the arena, for the listeners that don't know, out in Canada, Ontario, which is – uh, west of the city, a, a good distance. Um, I think it's 15 kilometers. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 17 and a half kilometers. And that's a lot of miles. And um, <laughs> they, uh, it, it's, it's just, you know, on a serious note, it's just, it's just sucks for the fans because who have to come from downtown Ottawa or let's say uh, East Ottawa to go all the way past the city pretty far on the 401 to get to Canada. And that, that's one of the reasons, especially if you're going to have a few beers, it, it sucks. And in Seattle, having a monorail right to the uh, arena to drop people off, it's huge, like MSG. It'll be just like MSG, right? Yeah. It's Seattle, I mean, that I, I think that team will take off like instantaneously. That They're going to have an amazing fan base between, you know, the uh, Seahawks and they have a, you know, pretty successful soccer team out there too, or football, um, out football. In, uh, in in Seattle. You know, so it, it's going to be it, it's going to be an aggressive fan base. So the sport of hockey is going to, you know, on the NHL level out there is going to take off like a rocket ship immediately. It's not going to be like a feeling it out kind of situation. They're just going to go. They're going to be like rabid fans from the get go. So uh, <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, yeah you know, Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix is moving to the central. And then uh, Seattle will be in the uh, Pacific. So that's one different change. But, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help the Central because Phoenix is putting together a pretty decent team out there yeah. with the Kessel. And... It's going to be tight. Yeah. So uh, let's get on to a little bit different topic, get off of the uh, Krakens there, and move over to what the Flyers have been doing. I actually had a chance to watch the Flyers when they played down here in that's Florida. Fire. And um, that, that was one of their wins they had. They pretty much smoked the Panthers. Uh, the Panthers are playing pretty well this year, too. And they just, it kind of sucked as a spectator going to that game because the Flyers scored early and they were ahead the whole game and it was never close. And, you know, I thought the Fly, at that point, you know, in my mind, the Flyers were like just an okay team. And the Panthers probably were going to be the team to come out on top on that one um, when I went down to, to watch it. But, you know, once I got to the game, they, they have some great players uh, in Philadelphia right now. They got a stud young goalie that's uh, been playing well with Carter Hart, and uh, you know he's been he was a touted goalie last season when he came in. I think it was mid season when they when they uh, introduced him to the league, and uh, you know he was supposed to be the new uh, stud young goalie in the league, and he's proven himself this year. And I was it Pat? They have like uh, eight eight and one or something. Nine, so that, 
91. They they just lost to Boston last night. You know, they beat Boston, I think it was 2-1 this year. But, uh, yeah, that Claude Giroux, a Voracek line, has just been on fire. Um, they picked up Kevin Hayes, which was big, another big power forward down the center. Their goalie, Carter Hart, is been standing on his head. You know, we always talk about goalies and uh, um, what they do. I, I forget their backup goalie. God, he, the big name. I can't think of it, but he's been standing on his head. They got two strong goalies. Carter Hart was, you know, a top player coming into them. Didn't do too well at first, and now he's um fire. They had uh, they got James Van Riemsdyk. You know, he had a broken finger. Um, Lindbaum, um, but you know, they had Brian. a couple setbacks. But now, you know, Van Riemsdyk ex- ex- is expected to return for playoffs. But yeah, they picked up Hayes. Carter Hart's been standing. Yeah, Brian Elliott is their other goalie. Brian Elliott, yeah, yeah, another big goalie. So two big goalies going into playoffs. You know, they're right behind the Capitals in that uh, division. And uh, what a great story because, you know, in the beginning of the year, they sucked, right? So uh, uh, they couldn't win. but And, and they win most of the uh, um, their games on the road, which is huge because I think their last 14 games um, this year uh, – a six or seven are on the road. So, uh, and, and they're doing pretty well at home too. So, uh, that's a team to watch, man. Yeah. It's, uh, Philadelphia, great, great sports city too. I mean, their fans are going to be behind them all the way. Uh, you know, the Philly fans are crazy. Everybody knows that. Um, uh, so great hockey town. So it's good to see them bringing it back. Another thing there on the flip side of that is the Washington Capitals have fallen a little bit and, uh, let the, let the Flyers catch up a little bit. And I think, Holtby came out this week and was a little bit vocal about not getting enough help on the defensive end. Everybody's talking about Ovi every night and uh, his goal scoring, which has been great, but they haven't been able right. to put together the defense that they need to win games. And uh, again, I don't know the quote that Holtby came out with, but basically saying, what the fuck? Great. You know, Ovi's scoring goals, but who's playing defense? You know, you know he's getting peppered with <laughs> peppered, but Ovi scores big fucking deal. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with the Capitals. I think they're a great team. They just need to bounce back. They obviously got some great players there. Been watching them throughout the season. You know, Oshie and Tom Wilson and Ovi, some guys that can put the puck in the back of the net. But I guess they need to focus a little bit. They got a great goalie too. You know, just they need maybe these, some of these forwards need to back check a little more and help them out. It seems like what he's talking about. Yeah, that's just a tough you know metropolitan division. You know, Washington and Pittsburgh, and you got Philly up there, right? So they're doing pretty one. They're 41 and 21 with a goal differential 36. I mean, their goal differential is higher than Washington and Pittsburgh. And those two teams can put the puck in the net. You know, obviously, Ovi and Washington and then Pittsburgh with their star studded lines, um, one through four. Um, I mean, Pat, uh, there's there's eight there's eight teams in the Metro and seven of them are in play to make the playoffs still. So, I mean, that talks to you about the yeah. depth of that division. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of goal differential, do you know Minnesota right now sits at zero? They're evened out, eh? They're even average. At average. They're, you know, they're the only team in the fucking league at zero. The other other team that the Islanders are negative one, but Detroit they just dug themselves out of a hole. Detroit's negative one hundred and twenty-two. <laughs> Oh yeah, and I, I see, you know, Jimmy Howard's been getting a lot of heat and, you know, Jimmy's been on the podcast, um, but no one's ever talking about who's in front of him, right? I mean, why, why do we... Not his fault, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, it's not his no, fault. I mean, you guys he, are losing he make, games. 
he makes the first save usually the games I've watched and it's the second or third shot that goes in the net. So why don't some of the fucking journalists out there write about that? I mean, yeah, I mean, they have 17 wins out of 71 games, right? So you take the numbers and you reverse them. 71 games, 17 wins. Not very good, man. No. You know, what do you expect out of a goalie, right? You got 50 losses, 49 losses. I mean, the goalie's going to have a lot of losses, right? So it's tough to watch, you know, Jimmy at the end of his career. You know, he's on a one-year contract. Uh, I hope that he gets a chance to play another season because I don't think that this is. Oh, a very someone good, will pick him up. Yeah. Not a good testament yeah. to him as a goalie and how how good he is and stuff. So, well, that's uh, that's got to that's got to be historical though. I mean, how bad Detroit is. I mean, it's got. I don't know if we could do research that for the next show, but I mean, that's bad. Yeah, I, think I mean that. I mean, one of our teams. That's freaking awful. But anyways, that's what you, yeah. that's what you expect out of Vegas or something their first season or. You know, but not a team like the Red Wings that obviously there's a lot of guys out there that want to play for that franchise. You think they'd be able to uh, bring some guys in. I mean, you look like Panarin wanted to go to the Rangers. You know, he's grew up being a Rangers fan in Europe and he wanted to play for the Rangers. And you think there would be guys that have that same, uh, you know, want to play for the, the Red Wings. So let's uh, get over to gotta be, Vegas. Got to be tough to go to the rink, boys. Got to be tough to go to the rink in Detroit. Yeah, oh, it's a beautiful rink. I mean, Little Caesars Arena, I think, is probably one of the nicest ones in the in the fucking country. So, I mean, they got to figure out something in the off season to uh, to bring it back to Detroit. Let's switch over to uh, the Vegas, Pat. I know you wanted to touch base on what's going on out there. I mean, first place in the in the division and uh, looking pretty good going towards the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they're they're back on track, right? From last year, um, I know they had a they fired their coach. They got a new coach in there, uh, DeBoer, um, coming over from San Jose. You know, I, I don't know, you know, how much of an impact he has on the team. Um, they did uh, bring a new goalie in, Robin Liner from uh, um, Chicago. They got him and Flower in that. He's been doing pretty good though since he got traded over there. I don't know his stats exactly. Um, but Vegas, you know, they beat Edmonton, they beat Calgary, um, they lost to Winnipeg for nothing, but uh, beat New Jersey, you know, put making a pretty good push for the playoffs. So, you know, it's great for the city of uh, Vegas. I, I don't know. I just have a little bit of, uh, you know, I like to see Vegas do well. I don't know what it is. Maybe just because uh, they're the new team. Um, Cinderella story. Cinderella story. There we <laughs> you go. like strippers? <laughs> I like that. Who doesn't? I, I like George McPhee, the GM. I mean, he's just doing a great job and um, getting these players in there. You know, it's got to be tough to keep these guys uh, corralled and on track in Vegas. You know, strippers, the money ran. <laughs> I think the I, surprise for me in, in the Pacific is probably that Arizona has slipped so far. Yeah. Yeah. We'll pick up Castle. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, They've fallen out quietly. Oh, wow. sure. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the other thing you're talking about, Pat, is, you know, Doug McClain was on with Vegas, talking about Vegas, is that uh, Subban couldn't win a game, you know. Um, right. Flower went out. He had a death in the family, I believe. What the fuck? I mean, the coach is losing, but his goaltending is shit. So why did he fire the coach? You know, is it the coach's yeah. fault that the guys take a leave of absence? Um, you know, Stahl just took a leave for the Minnesota Wild, you know. They lost one game when he was gone, and I believe he's back now, and they put May- uh, Mayhew back in waivers. But, uh, you know, that shit happens. You know, you, you got to give guys a leave. You know, you can blame the coach. 
because the goalie's not stopping the puck. So, I mean, that's just you know, you talk about, you know, what what makes these guys, like Derek said, trigger happy just to fire a coach because they've lost. And, and I don't think if they had the same coach, if they'd be in any different position today. Yeah, no I doubt. don't think so either. I'm with you. No doubt. No doubt. All right, boys, another great episode here uh, at the Blue Line. And uh, Ray Shero joined us tonight. What a what an awesome guy. I mean, just some of these connections that St. Lawrence has brought through the the hockey world is just awesome to bring them on the show and talk about our hometown and, and you know, talk about them being in the, in the big league and uh, appreciate him coming on tonight. We got a lot of good things coming, coming up with the, with the blue liners. Uh, Pat, you want to touch on a couple interviews that are coming up in the future? I'm trying to line up Mike Ruzioni, you know, he's played at BU was on the 1980 winter Olympics in Lake Placid, you know, that was Captain. the fort- yeah, 40th anniversary just recently. So we're going to get him to come on and talk to us. Uh, That'll be great just because we were so close to Lake Placid growing up. Uh, I think we've all been there, you know, over 100 times. Played there. Played there, 1980 Arena. Um, All the facilities there. Um, Actually, guys, our our names are on the wall in there. Yeah, we won. uh, That's true. That's true. New York State Championships. Um, So we're in the Wall of Fame up there. Not a big deal. Um, <laughs> no biggie. So, so that'll be fun. Uh, Rich Peverly, I think uh, Jay Bowmeister of the St. Louis Blues, I think he's back skating now. Um, he had that uh, um, episode on the heart. I don't know exactly what it was, but uh, um, something to do with his heart on the bench collapsed. I don't know if all the listeners know Rich Peverly did the same thing. Uh, for the Dallas Stars. So we're going to get him on and talk to him about that. Uh, he's doing big things for heart research. David um, Ayers, I believe, is coming on at some point. Yeah, we're reaching out to David Ayers. I think we got some uh, feelers out there that we can uh, get him on. Um, so I think he's coming on. And uh, Matt Zuccarello will talk to the uh, surging uh, Minnesota Wild uh, team. Uh, we'll get a player on to talk to them about them pushing for the playoffs. Okay, boys, and if you haven't checked out uh, one of our new sponsors, secondstringleather.com, uh, get on there and check them out. They make cool products out of uh, hockey pads and goalie hockey pads and stuff like that. So coming on with the Blue Liners, and we're excited to have a new sponsor of the show and definitely going to promote their products, and we'll be putting some of their stuff on video so you can check it out too. So get it's on their like website. The, it's like the uh, coach of men's hockey. They have belts, wallets, totes, bags of old hockey leather so it's kind of the new coach apparel for men <laughs> got a man purse so he can yeah. get a man purse made out of old goalie pads so maybe a satchel fanny pack check them out check them out all right boys great episode don't forget to look look on youtube for our videos we have this whole podcast on video too if you want to check out the video uh twitter facebook instagram all that good stuff we're on there too All right, boys, another great episode. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice. Oh, doctor. Peace. Keep your head up.